Hey guys, welcome back. Welcome. This is Crystal. And I'm Elle. And we are Alternative Interests. So this week, I was I was actually doing some research on an episode for Dior Kuntz. So kind of spoiler alert, there's an episode on Dior Kuntz coming your way soon. And I happened to see a post on Facebook about this particular event. And I got so sucked into the story that I decided I had to cover it. And it's a rabbit hole that I fell into. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that being said, the story, it's a lot of he said, she said. The timelines are really choppy. And because this revolves around a feud, it's really unclear about some of the events that happened. So if you have any questions um, and you get lost, ask them because I, I might have the information and I might not, okay. but I, I got super sucked into this. So I really hope that you get as hooked as I was in this, but uh, here we go. I'm excited. <laughs> Nothing ever gets better unless something drastic happens. And basically that's what's going to happen. Had they not meddled in my business, this would have turned out, this whole thing would have turned out completely different. To do what I had to do to make these people listen, to learn, was just above me. God built me for this job. Everything is gone. What I own is just going to be a pittance compared to what I'm going to take. But hopefully, the community will learn something from this. God blessed me in advance for the task that I am about to undertake. So, those were some tapes to give you a little hint about what we're talking about. That was, his name is Marv Hemeyer. He sounds psycho a little bit. <laughs> he, he was a very angry man. But this story, uh, I don't know how well known it is, but this story is about something called Killdozer Day. Killdozer Day. Yes. All right. <laughs> so let's start. Um, our story begins in a little town called Granby, Colorado. I actually looked up the population of the city. And as of right now, the population is 1,758. So this is a tiny, tiny city, like itty bitty. I was going to say, that does sound really like small for a city. Well, I'm, I say city because that's the word I'm familiar with. It town. We'll call yeah, it I was going to say, it seems more like a little town. It's, it's a town. It's, okay. it's a pit stop. Really. <laughs> it's a pit stop. <laughs> but, you know, in, in towns that small... Oh, yeah. Everybody to... knows everything about everyone. Yeah, I used to live in one of those. It was the worst. Yeah, this is even worse. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. This one's bad. So Marvin Hemeyer was born on October 28, 1951 in South Dakota. There really isn't much information on him before this event to explain how he ended up in Granby. So I could not find anything about him before 1992. The okay. only thing I could find was that he served some time in the Air Force. And when he was in the Air Force, he was actually stationed in Colorado. And he fell in love with the area. So when he retired from the Air Force, he actually decided to stay there. Okay. 
when he was in the Air Force, he learned he was really good with his hands. He was really, like, a super talented welder, really good with engines and motors. Um, so that's actually what he did when he left the military. After he retired, he moved to a small town called Grand Lake, Colorado, which is uh, just outside of Denver. Mm-hmm. And it's about 20 minutes north of Granby. So he lived pretty close to this tiny town. He bought a secluded cabin in Grand Lake, and that's where he lived. And in Grand Lake and Granby, because they're so close together, they're really interrelated. He had a really great reputation. People described him as the kind of guy that would bend over backwards for you. He was really good at what he did, like really talented welder. He could look at something and be like, oh, touch it for five seconds and it's fixed. I'm or for the crazy. The crazy doesn't come yet. <laughs> it's it's a slow build oh. because as you could hear in that recording, he he became this way because he blames his neighbors for doing this to him. His neighbors. So the people who keep saying how nice of a guy he was? We'll get there. Oh, okay. Patience. <laughs> Patience. So He really loved a snowmobile, and I thought this was really, really cool. So there was a uh, documentary that came out recently called Tread, like Tire Tread, and it came out in February of this year, right before the world went to shit and shut down because of COVID. So I actually rented it and watched it, and the creators of the documentary actually said that this is really cute. So he had this group of guys who would go snowmobiling every Thursday together, they called themselves the Thursday crew, and it was whoever could make it would go. It's Isn't that really cute? That's adorable. Um, but because of how good he was with uh, welding, he actually created custom bumpers for all these snowmobiles what? so that they could, like, mow down trees and they wouldn't get in the way. That's like, interesting. I mean, that sounds really cool. I wish this guy didn't Yeah, the, foot- the footage was really, really cool. Like, watching them and all these guys... These guys still love this guy, Marvin. Okay. They they still see him as this great guy. Kind of, side note, down the road, a lot of people see Marvin as some kind of hero. And there's there's a subset of people on the internet who still think that Marvin is a hero. So, we'll keep going with our story. Okay. Um, he actually met a woman named Trisha in a bar in Grand Lake. And he and Trisha dated for several years. Trisha said in the documentary, she always felt safe, safe with him. She really trusted him. She really loved him. Okay. And so, like, you can kind of see how he really was a good guy. Mm-hmm. Basically, if he was your friend, he was your best friend. Oh. So, I mean, one of those kind of people. Those are the best people, kind of, depending on how suffocating they are. Yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, this guy seemed like if he could help you, he, he helped you. He like, and then guy. some. Yeah. So, I mean, he was just really great to okay. the people he was friends with. So, when he moved to Grand Lake, he actually owned a small chain of muffler shops. He was doing really good for himself. These are all really successful muffler shops. And his ultimate goal in life was to make enough money that he could spend his time snowmobiling and have enough money to live. And that's all, that's all he wanted. <laughs> dream. Like, that's literally all he wants. I mean, they're, they're in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. It's snowy. Um, I mean, they're in the mountains. Yeah. So this is 
that was the life he wanted. What so did that's... he do during the summers? I mean, I guess work. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, he just kind of relaxed. The um, the cabin he owned had a hot tub. He would spend a lot of time hey. in the hot tub by himself. By himself. That's he had a lot of revelations in there. Oh. Like literal revelations, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so. Eventually, Marvin actually decided to lease out all of his shops, um, the other locations to other owners, and he just focused on owning and managing one himself. Mm -hmm. And so in 1992, Marvin bought two acres of land in Granby at an auction for $42,000, and it was kind of an intense bidding war. Shortly after Marvin came to Granby, he got really involved in politics, he had some really, really strong opinions about politics. Really? Yeah. Um, one of the things he was really passionate about was he was very pro-gambling. And I guess when he came to the town, they were considering bringing a casino or some kind of gambling yeah. there. And he was very vocal about like how he wanted gambling there he thought gambling was a good thing for the city it would bring more jobs it would bring uh, more tourists and he could not see why anyone would not want gambling but you see this tiny little town they're really old-fashioned so i can understand why they wouldn't want gambling yeah i was gonna say he was so pro-gambling and very so opinionated that actually a local paper interviewed him for a thought piece and he and another man were interviewing together. He was pro-gambling. The other guy was anti-gambling. It got so heated that they no. actually almost, almost got in a physical fight over this. <laughs> Politics, yes. man. What? Over gambling? And uh, to further elaborate that Marvin's temper was kind of scary, he threatened to kill a customer's husband one what? time. Because Marvin did a faulty repair to their muffler, and of course this person didn't want to pay for it. He almost killed the woman's husband over this. What? Okay, wait. So he had this bad of a temper, but he was with with whatever girl in a relationship for 11? I don't know how many years. They didn't say. It was a few years. Okay, a few years, and they never got into a fight where he was got really upset like that? Apparently not. Well, you know, obviously that was a boring relationship. (laughs) I don't know. Well, she said how they would go out and explore. They would adventure. Mm -hmm. He took her out snowmobiling. So she became part of the Thursday crew. Like, it seems like they actually had a very functional relationship. Okay. So remember I said if he he was your friend, he was your best friend. Yeah. If he was your enemy... He was your worst enemy, and oh, you better watch out. Very extreme. When was his birthday again? October. October. Something? Doesn't make sense. Okay. Okay. So now I am going to introduce the Dochef family. The Dochefs are a very prominent family in that area, mm-hmm. mostly because the Dochefs are famous for owning dairy farms. I actually looked up the Dochefs online right now, and they have five generations of dairy farmers in their family. Interesting. So they are a very well-established family. Well-established families have a lot of influence over local oh, politics. no. 
Did they not want this casino? Well, the casino doesn't really play into anything anymore. That just kind of shows how angry he was. (laughs) But um, to give you an, an idea about the amount of influence this family has... I actually found a record in 2012, one of the Doe chefs was sentenced to five years in prison for felony stalking charge because his wife was divorcing him and he was stalking her so severely that he ended up getting a felony stalking charge. I don't know what a felony stalking charge takes, but it's got to be a lot. I was going to say, I mean, that's like some scary movie crap I can think of, of like them speeing under the bed or whatever, and then you like catch them. Right, like a horror movie. (laughs) Um, in the so, closet watching you? I don't know. Well, at the same time, he was actually also charged of third degree assault and various domestic violence crimes. What? When the, okay. When the judge read, like, his sentence for him, mm-hmm. of course this guy is begging for leniency. Yeah. And the judge looks and he's like, you know, I see all these charges on your rap sheet and he always got deferred sentences. He never had to serve his sentence. So the judge was like, you know, you look like the kind of guy who never has to pay the price for his crimes, mm-hmm. and he had to go to jail for five years. Okay, that's at least good that the judge didn't let him get off because of who he was. Very, very good, but that shows you that he yeah. had all these other things against him, and he was never punished for it. Uh-huh. Which is stupid. Right. Whatever. <laughs> Cody Docheff plays a very big part in this story. Cody is in the fourth generation of the family, and he was actually one of only, he was five, had four other brothers, so there were five boys, mm-hmm. and he was the only brother who chose not to enter the dairy business. Okay, does this play an issue later on, or? Well, his company does. Oh! So, Cody Docheff decided to go into concrete. He actually started his company from scratch. Okay. And we will see why this is such a big problem later on. I was going to say, this doesn't seem like a... I mean, he had a... What? Um... What is it? What is it called? The the, 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 the motor vehicle or whatever business. Like, what's-his-face did? Well, no, concrete is... His business was more about the manufacturing of concrete. Yeah. So it doesn't have anything to do with mufflers. Yeah, I was going to say, how is... There's a lot of backstory, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. (laughs) I'm just... Okay. You guys, I have 15 pages of notes. You gotta buckle (laughs) up. Okay. In order to understand the grudge that happened between neighbors... I have to go into the detail about you remember Marvin yeah. bought his property at auction? <gasps> I have oh. to I have to talk about this auction. So okay. Cody Docheth and his wife Susie owned a plot of land and whatever business venture they had in mind for this plot of land ended up failing. And it actually ended up with this land being taken from them by a company called Resolution Trust Corporation. They deal with FDIC foreclosed properties. So basically, the owners can't pay. It's foreclosed by this bank. And then the bank owns it, and they auction off the property so that they can make some kind of money on it. Oh, I see where this is going. A little bit. Oh, okay. Never mind. I'll stop being ecstatic. No, no. Every time you get excited, (laughs) remember, there's like 50,000 more things. Oh, this is so, just going to get worse. I can feel it. So Cody had a friend named Gus Harris, 
and Cody and Gus had this plan. Okay. Cody obviously didn't have money. He, I mean, he had just lost this land. But his friend Gus did have money. So Gus was going to buy this property at auction and then sell it back to Cody. I mean, solid. Right. I mean, it's a plan. I mean, you yeah. get your buddy to help you out. Obviously, it didn't work out. Like, I I would understand. Like, if you were going under and your stuff was about to be foreclosed, I mm-hmm. probably wouldn't lend you money to save you. But if you're... <laughs> Thanks. No, it just, it makes sense. But, yeah. like... I, I could see myself purchasing something so I could sell it back to you. Yeah. Because um, when you're getting close to foreclosure, I mean, there's only so much you can do to Basically. save yourself. So I can I can see why they hatched this plan up. So Cody and Susie Dochef owned this concrete plant that was owned. They owned the concrete plant, but the cr- concrete plant was on land that was owned by another local family and you'll see, like, this small town had these families who were powerful. So the Dochefs were one of them mm-hmm. that are kind of famous throughout all of the Denver, Colorado area. But specific to Granby is a family called the Thompsons. And the Thompsons owned a lot of land. They owned a very successful excavation business. I mean, these family, this family was, they were known as a legacy family is what people called them. Okay. And so the land that their concrete plant was on was owned by the Thompsons and they wanted their plant to be on land that they owned. So, I mean, you got two choices. You can buy land and move your concrete plant or you can try and purchase the land that your concrete plant is on. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Thompsons didn't want to sell, so they had to find somewhere else to move their concrete plant. So that is what they wanted this land for from the auction. That was their whole plan for it was Gus would buy it, sell it back to Cody, and then Cody could move his concrete plant from the land where it was to Granby. What happened was... (laughs) Marvin outbid Harris. Like, Mm. Harris had a cap for how much he would pay. Marvin bid more, and he won the bid. And so the whole plan didn't work out for the Dochefs, and they were like, you know, big bummer, but let's find something else to do. There are conflicting reports about what happened during the auction. (laughs) I was going to say, you said this causes an issue, so I'm just like, wait, if they were totally cool about it. We'll get to the issue. (laughs) So we listened to some recordings that Marv played. I played a little snippet for you. Yeah. He started these recordings on, I don't remember the exact date, but they started in April 2000 and, let's see, April, he started recording April 13th, 2004. And in these tapes, Marvin, so I mean, this is 12 years after the auction, so your memory can get a little bit skewed. Mm-hmm. Marvin says that after the auction, Cody came up to him, started cussing him out and screaming at him in front of the whole auction. But I feel like if you're bidding on something in an auction and the person bidding for you has a cap, maybe you have to expect that someone might go over that. That's, you know, that was actually what Marv said. He said, you know, if you don't bring enough money, don't expect to get your stuff. Yeah. But Cody and Gus both say this altercation never happened. 
So wait, who, then what happened? No one knows. And that's why I said it's a lot of he said, she said, because Marvin, by the time we get to April 13th, 2004, he has a lot of anger, a lot of animosity Mm -hmm. towards very specific people in the town. He sounded like he did. And because of how skewed his anger made him, I'm actually willing to believe he is, he's convinced himself that this happened when it didn't. Which would make sense if, yeah, I mean, like you said with the anger thing, it makes sense that his brain made up situations. And, you know, at some point he told himself this happened, like he made it up and and now he's been telling himself it for so long. It's now real. Yes. So that's what I think. Um... No one was there, and Marvin... Spoiler alert, Marvin is dead. So, there's... Whoa, wait. Spoiler alert, Marvin's dead. Is this where we're going? Is this the adventure we're going on to figure out a mystery of how he... No, no, we know exactly how Marvin died. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I've just foreshot down the road, Marvin is no longer here. Mm -hmm. So, we only have one side of the story, so no one... No one will ever really know if this argument happened or not. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So, since the auction plan fell through, the Dochefs kind of moved on. They decided to buy a different piece of land instead and use that for the location of the concrete plant, but they had to find the land. So, when Marvin bought this little piece of land, the local sewer district approached him and asked if he wanted to be annexed in. I tried to figure out what this means, like, as far as the implications of, okay, you're part of the sewer district, what good does that do you? I could not find anything that explained why this would be a good thing for Marvin. I mean, wait, if he has a, wait, were there sewers already in that land? So there there wasn't. There was the main sewer line that went through the city. Yeah. And let me, let me tell more of the story and it might explain some of this. Okay. So... The main sewer line in the city was actually a few hundred feet away, and Marvin had a shop, like a workshop, on the land that he he had bought. Yes. And in order for him to get sewer hooked up, he actually had to acquire um, a service easement from the property next to him. So his his so kind of think about this: you have the main road that goes by. You have this empty plot of land, and then right behind that, you have Marvin's plot of land. Marvin can't get to the main road unless he goes through this property, because it's in the way between him and the main property. That makes the sense. The main line. Yeah. This was going to cost him somewhere between sixty dollars and $100,000. What? It's, it's really expensive. I mean, I guess. It is really expensive. And because it wasn't a legal requirement for Marvin, he just kind of decided he didn't want to pay that much money. It turned into this whole argument with him and the sewer district. Marvin, in the tapes, he actually explains how he thought this was a done deal for him, that he was going to be part of the sewer district. It was no big deal. But the head um, of the board of the sewer district was one of the Thompsons. And Marvin is convinced that his name was Ron, convinced that Ron Thompson deliberately kept him out of the sewer district. Boy, they asked him to be, like, to do it, and then he didn't do it, and then, okay. We're logical humans. 
<laughs> I mean. So th- I'm. that's what I'm telling you. There's so many of these things that are so complicated and they're so skewed by we only have one side of the story left now and we have Marvin's tapes, yeah. which show that he was not functioning at the highest mental capacity by 2004. So it's really hard to say what actually happened. So Marv was really convinced and he says this several times that ron thompson was quote-unquote working against him so he doesn't think that people are just you know hazing the new guy anymore they think they are deliberately working against him maybe he has like paranoia he he has something i i guarantee it listening to his tapes you can tell that he has some kind of mental health issue I don't know what it is, but like you can, you can hear it in the way that he thinks everyone is out to get him. Something is going on there, which is really sad that he got that way, but that's, that's how it goes. I mean, so luck ran out, I guess. Yeah. Well, he didn't really ever have luck. (laughs) I mean, he was successful. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he was really successful. And then I guess... I guess people can go crazy if, like, one thing after another, just, like, not the or best. Or you perceive that one oh, thing after another. Yeah, you perceive the one thing after another, and then... Yeah. Okay. I mean... So, we're gonna go down the road six years. So, in 1998, the town did this thing called spot zoning, and I had to look up what this is. It's basically, um, when you have a, a town... Different areas of the land are zoned for specific things. So, you know, you're zoned for commercial use. You're zoned for a family neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Spot zoning means... So, where these areas kind of link up, um, there's kind of a line there between the zones. And sometimes you can take more of one zone or less of one zone. So, the line kind of gets squiggly back and forth. (laughs) Squiggly. Spot zoning... Is like you go to the middle of the other zone and you change the zoning of some plot of land in the middle of this other zone. Okay. It's actually against the law. Wait, like everywhere or just in this Colorado? I'm pretty sure it's... I tried to find information on it. It's definitely against the law in Colorado. Mm -hmm. But there's a gray area. Oh. So apparently if you spot zone the land... And no one opposes it within 30 days. You're fine. Yes. And that is what happened. So. But did anybody know there was spot zoning going on? Apparently no one found out in time. Okay. Well, that's the, that's the the kicker. The plot of land they spot zoned. Oh. Was right next to Marvin. Oh, right next to Marvin? It wasn't his? They get, you can't spot zone someone else's land, but you can ask for a rezoning of your property. Okay. So the neighbor spot zoned their property. Okay, what does that do to Marvin's land? Um, it doesn't really do anything to Marvin's land, except for the fact that once you have designated a zone for one area, it's really easy to argue that, hey, my plot of land right here is zoned for... Uh, construction, why Why does it make any difference if I take another plot of land and zone that for construction too? I mean, I already have my end zone for construction. So that's, that's the problem is once you spot zone something, mm-hmm. it's not illegal to zone other plots around it. Okay. So that's, that's what happened 
there, so it was the Doe Chefs that bought this land and spot zoned it. <laughs> they really like pissing him off, don't, Marvin off, don't they? <laughs> but like, they're not doing. Anything. I don't think they're not like. They're not like, doing it on purpose. This yeah, guy, th- he seems like the kind of person that takes everything personally. personally. Oh. It's like anything you do, you're doing to him. Yeah, that makes sense, but it's just really funny how this is conveniently happening. <laughs> so, oh, what sorry. happened was these two plots of land got sold at the same auction. Oh, yeah. And Gus was able to buy that other plot of land, but he wasn't able to buy this one. Okay. So, it was just kind of... Happenstance. That they ended up being neighbors, yeah. Okay. So, the dough chefs wanted to move their concrete plant to this plot. It didn't end up being big enough. So they go to Marvin and they say, hey, would you be willing to sell us your land? They actually originally came to an agreement. Marv was like, you know, sounds good. Okay. They agreed on a verbal agreement of $250,000. Verbal agreements never work. But they're legally binding. Oh, okay. Well, true. Well. But it's he says, she said once again. But, I mean, that's. This one actually, Marv does okay. say this happened. So okay, they agreed okay. to two hundred and fifty thousand. That wait. is that is over two hundred thousand dollar profit for Marvin for what he paid for that property. That I'm... is that is a huge profit. Yeah, I mean, good on him. Well, no, no, he went back on the deal. Why? Because the Dochefs, in the meantime, went to the city and they asked for permission to bring their concrete plant to now this four-acre plot. If they acquired Marvin's, it would be four acres instead of two. Mm-hmm. They have to go get permission from the city for this. Okay. Marvin heard about this, and he decided that his land must be worth more than what the Dochef thought it was, so he raised his amount, and he said he wanted $375,000 now. What a butt wipe. Yeah. Like, he went... Okay, whatever. What a butt wipe. Well, the Dochefs couldn't afford that, so they kind of cut their losses, decided they would try and go for a different angle. Mm-hmm. On the side of their property, on the opposite side of Marvin's, there was this big 22-acre lot that was zoned for commercial use, so it was going to essentially be a big shopping center. Mm-hmm. The owner of that land had also bought the um, that land in the auction, so the same auction yeah, um, from the same company. And the land, his name was Fred Collins. Fred Collins originally bought this land with the idea of bringing gambling to Granby. Woohoo! I don't know about the timeline here. I couldn't find a specific timeline if this happened before or after the the town arguments about gambling happened. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if this guy said he was bringing gambling and then... Like, the town heard and started getting angry about it, and that's how Marv got into gambling. Or if the town was already arguing about gambling, and this guy decided to buy it for this, and then all the arguing made him decide not to. Yeah. I I couldn't find anything about that timeline. It would be interesting to know, because it would explain some of Marvin's anger about the Dochefs buying this. Because of this, if oh. this land was meant for gambling and the Dochefs bought this, that means no gambling and Marv doesn't get his way. Does 
Does Marvin have, a, like, a gambling problem? Not that I know of. I think he was, it was, um, the economic point of view is what he was really okay. focused on. The fact that it would bring more jobs, it would bring more tourism, it would be really good for the town. That is what Marv talks about when he says he's pro-gambling. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know the timeline okay. of that. So, the tow chefs enter a purchase agreement to buy this 22-acre plot, and so they go to Marvin with a new offer. So they say, hey, Marvin, because they still really wanted this two-acre plot. They wanted, because it was going to be easiest to put their concrete plant there than to try and put it elsewhere, and then they have this empty two-acre plot. Yeah. So they go to Marvin, and they say, hey, we're about to buy this giant plot of land. What if you give us your land, and we'll give you two acres over there? So, like, basically just swapping the land yeah. for him. They're like, you can get someone to appraise it so that you're getting a piece of land that's worth the same as this one. And we can all agree it'll be great. And so Marvin is like, yeah, that sounds good to me. Oh, no. And then he comes back and says, wait, I want you to build me a brand new, really nice building to go on my two acre plot of land. He's just getting a little greedy. He's real greedy. He's he's a little spoiled right now. So there were a lot of reports that said that Marvin was reportedly asking $1 million for his plot of land. What I actually found is that the amount to build this new building he want was approximately $1 million. So that explains why some people are like, oh, Marv was asking a million dollars for his property. No, he wasn't. He was asking for a new building that would be approximately $1 million. So in essence, he was asking for a $1 million, mm-hmm. but it wasn't him asking for them to pay that much for his land. Oh, I mean, so okay. a little misleading in a lot of places, but it, it made a lot of sense after I found that source. Okay. So the Dochefs are thinking, man, this guy's asking for a lot. <laughs> like, asking for a lot. He is. And so they're kind of like, eh... And Marvin goes, I want you to absolutely guarantee that you are going to give me this land and give me this building or no deal. And they're like, dude, we haven't even bought the land yet. Like, we can't guarantee you anything because the sale hasn't gone through. So Marvin turns into a child and he goes, hmm, if you don't give me two acres of land and a new building, well, then I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And I'm just going (laughs) to fight your concrete plant. Wait, fight the concrete plant? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can you can oppose that, like, townspeople, if yeah. there's enough of an uprising about that stuff. I don't know if you know this. In Maple Valley, there's actually supposed to be a, um, it might actually be a concrete plant, a concrete treatment plant going in on Maple Valley Highway. Okay. And the people of Maple Valley are losing their shit over it. This is happening right now. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, this has been going on for years. People in Maple Valley go out on Maple Valley Highway with, like, picket signs about, like, deny the concrete plant, but it's still going in. Didn't they do that about, like, a, uh, what was it? A dispensary. Yeah, the dispensary. Yeah, that went in, too. (laughs) Same area. (laughs) Oh, same area? Yeah. They're, like, really close to each other. Okay. So, while this whole thing is going on with the negotiations and Marvin being a little shit... The Dochefs built a lift station on their plot of land, and when they built this lift station, they brought sewer. They paid that 60000 to 100000 to hook up to the main sewer line. Well, this caused some problems for Marvin. 
Oh, because he thought they wouldn't let him do the sewer, right? No. Oh. It's worse. Oh, God. Remember, it wasn't a legal requirement for him before because he was too far <gasps> oh, away. Oh, now it is. It's a legal requirement <laughs> now because his building is close enough to a sewer line. Well, he had the option of hooking on to the Dochef sewer line. It would be much, much cheaper. But their sewer line was eight feet into their property. In order to legally hook up to it, he had to get permission from them. And he doesn't want to do that. Well, <laughs> if you were the Dochefs, what would you do? Uh, if you give us our land, like that land, we'll let you hook it up. Yep. Oh, okay. That is what they tried. And Marvin didn't like that. Dude, Marvin, you stop being a picky little bitch. <laughs> yeah, so along along with this, uh, Marvin had actually opened up several lawsuits against the Dochefs and the city for the concrete plant. So the Dochefs said, you know, dude, if you just drop your lawsuits, give us the land, we'll give you this nice little plot of land over there. Or, you know, you could just hook up to our sewer line. We don't even want your land anymore. Mm -hmm. Just drop your lawsuits and be like, you don't even have to pay us. Drop the lawsuit. We're good. Oh, so they were just really trying to compromise at this point. They are really trying. (laughs) They're trying hard. Marvin's not trying. Marvin just has some issues. (laughs) Well, Marvin went to the city like the petulant child he is. And he demanded that he wanted the town to force the Dochefs to allow him to hook up to their sewer. They are allowing him to hook up to the sewer. With conditions that he doesn't like. Oh, okay, true. So the town is saying, dude, we can't force anyone to do anything with their private land that they don't want to do. Yeah. So now Marv, actually now's a really good time for us to uh, count people that Marv is angry with. (laughs) Let's count them. Marv's angry with the Dochefs. It's one. Wait, like the whole family or just like that one set? He kind of lumps them all together. Okay, so that whole family. Uh, he's angry with the town officials. Oh, lovely. That's somebody you want to be angry at. He's angry with the Thompsons. Okay. He's angry with Gus Harris. Okay. He's angry with this random guy who he disagreed with about the gambling. <laughs> he's still mad about that. He's always mad about that. He's mad about the newspaper publisher. Because the publisher posted a thought piece that was anti-gambling. So now he hates the newspaper publisher. What? Okay, we're at six. And... Um, that's all I can count for now. I'm sure there were more. But, you know, that's a pretty hefty list. Oh, the, uh, guy, the, the lady's husband in his store that he tried to kill because of the muffler jump. (laughs) He's probably still mad about that. You know, it wouldn't surprise me, but uh, let's (laughs) let's continue with the story now that we've just paused for a moment to take stock of who he's mad at. (laughs) So the public hearings for the concrete plant had started, and at first the town folk came, and they were right along with Marv. They were like, we do not want this concrete plant. Marv has a good point. It's going to be noisy. It's going to be dusty. And, you know, every time Marv said, you know, what about all the dust? What about the fumes? What about the noise? Cody Dochef comes in and goes, hey, you know, that you make a really good point. What if we do this to stop the dust? And what if we do this, like, to stop the noise? And it's an indoor plant. There won't be any fumes. Cody was being really reasonable yeah. about all of this. And Marvin was not. <laughs> so... Marvin is seeing that he's getting less and less support from the townspeople. 
So Marvin calls the EPA. Oh, he's getting really... Like, this is how angry he was. Yeah. (laughs) You know what's funny? He's putting a lot of effort into this. The EPA starts ignoring him. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't laugh at that. Because, like, they... At first, they're like, wow, this is really concerning. And then they realize that the Dochefs were actually taking care of all the concerns. They were well within guidelines. So yeah. the EPA was like, man, this guy don't know what he's talking about. And they started ignoring him. I mean, I would So too. now Marvin's mad at the EPA. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, Marvin still doesn't have water sewer. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't even, like, dealt with his own problems. He's no. too worried about... See, this is why people say, stay in your own... This is why people say, stay in your own lane. Well, He would have had a lot of his problems solved if he stayed in his own lane. Well, do you remember listening to the recording? Oh, yeah. Marvin says that. He says, if they hadn't bothered me. So he thinks they're not staying in their own lane. <sighs> they sound like they're re- trying really hard to be in their own lane. <laughs> and he keeps pulling them out. Right. So Marvin's got this issue with the water sewer hookup. And so Marvin, I mean, the town had give him, given him so many chances to hook up. Finally, they're like, dude, we're, we're giving you some fines for this. Like, Good. You need, you need to figure this out. So Marv got mad and he called the town police on the Dochefs because he said they had some abandoned vehicles outside their property. And, you know, code enforcement so code enforcement comes out to look at it, and uh, the Dochefs didn't have anything, but Marv did, so he got fined. <laughs> <laughs> he seems just to be digging himself a hole. So the total fees for the the water sewer issue and the junk cars came to about $2,500. Oh my god, if he just paid the stupid sewer thing. <laughs> right, if he just hooked up to the sewer or dropped his lawsuit or... Just, just, just done anything else. Right. <laughs> So, remember, he was mad at the town officials before? Well, he's really, really angry now. No, no, of course So, we can count them as two people now because he's really, really angry. (laughs) He's angry at the whole building. He's not just angry Yeah, he's angry at everyone, except for his Thursday crew. He's still good with them. Oh, okay. But, so when when Marvin paid the check, you know, in the memo line, you can write what the check is for. Oh, I'm so excited. He wrote, Coward and Liars Department. Oh, God. Well, Marvin's not too bright because you know how you have to write out the amount of the check in words? Yeah. He wrote the wrong amount. He wrote the words wrong. So, like, the amount that he wrote in numbers did not match the amount he wrote in words. Oh, yeah. So then you can't use it. Right. So the town clerk called him (laughs) and was like, excuse me, Mr. Hemeyer, we need a new check. Marvin shows up and starts screaming at the town clerk, saying that she went to the bank and was bad-mouthing him to the bank. And the town clerk was like, Mr. Hemeyer, I have no reason to do that. I would never do that. Here's the issue with your check. So Marv crossed out the words, rewrote it, all good, check goes through. Oh, God. So on top of all the issues he was having with the Dochefs to begin with, there's, there's one final little, like, cherry dollop on the Sunday. The only entrance to Marvin's muffler shop was through this empty plot of land that they are now building their concrete plant on. 
No. <laughs> I'm sorry. So <laughs> this this part I actually really don't understand. So the documentary showed some aerial footage of the area. Mm-hmm. There's access. There's other access points. I don't understand. <laughs> like, like he could have done anything else. I just, I don't understand. I don't know if he just preferred to come in this certain way to his property and now his preferred route was blocked or what. But this aerial footage shows two other access points to this plot of land. So I, I really don't understand this. But anyway, Marv is claiming that he doesn't have access to his shop anymore. <laughs> so he goes to the city and petitions them to say, hey, can I build a new access point to my shop? Well, there is, I don't know if you know this, but since I, I actually work with city planning a lot for my job, mm-hmm. a lot of permit stuff takes six to eight weeks to go through. I mean, understandable. There's a lot of it. So in the six to eight week course, Marv buys himself a nice big bulldozer in preparation for oh. building this road. Oh, God. Well, the city came back and said no. Yeah, because you have... At least two other access points that you could use. I'm assuming that's why they said no. Either that or something. City planning will say no for the smallest things. And usually it's just you have to adjust one. And they'll tell you exactly what's wrong. Usually you just adjust one little thing and then you resubmit and they'll come back and say yes. I am more than willing to bet that's what happened. He probably Mm -hmm. didn't have a proper safety protocol or structuring for the road something that they redlined and said, hey... Tweak this one thing. Marv took it as a no. Okay. I I am so confident that is what happened. Because I have seen it happen with projects I've worked on. (laughs) And we all all have been getting to know Marvin pretty well. Yes. (laughs) So, at this point, Marv just decides to shut down his business and auction everything off. Because that makes sense. I don't, yeah. So, he decides to sell everything. The two things that he did not sell was his land. He wanted $450,000 for the land. Notice he marked it up again because he wanted three seventy five dollars before. And he wanted 33000 for this dozer. Those were the only two things that did not sell when he auctioned everything off. Marvin took this as a sign from God that he had a mission to do and... That is why the land and the dozer did not sell. Sure. We can, uh, we can think God's, that's God's doing. Sure. So in November, a local company called the Trash Company, that's the, literally their name is the Trash Company. Sounds like trash. It's probably. <laughs> um, they approached him and the owner was like, hey, I noticed you're not doing business anymore. I really like your shop. I really like your land. I want to use it to stage my trucks. And so they actually came to an agreement. The owner of the trash company bought Marvin's land for $400,000. And Marvin actually built this little shed off to the side. And he back rented from the new owner. So he was able to work out of this tiny little shed and rent. And so now we get to the the kind of, we're peaking here. We're getting really close. (laughs) The bulldozer was 11 feet, 11 inches tall. The doorway to the shop was 12 feet tall. Okay. Marvin saw this as another sign from God that his plan 
was perfect. And this is how he says it. He's like, why did I buy this specific dozer instead of a bigger one I was looking at? Why is my shed the perfect size to pull this bulldozer in? And he literally saw this as a sign from God that the plan he was formulating in his head was meant to happen and he was doing God's will. Or it's just something in his brain that just connected dots that didn't necessarily need connecting. You and I can see that, but Marv couldn't. Well, Marv is a little special. So, Marv actually started building on his bulldozer. What's really interesting, when you are getting insurance as a company, usually when you buy new insurance, the insurance company has to come and do a walkthrough. Mm-hmm. They came and they did a walkthrough, and even though Marv was renting the shed, it was on the trash company's land. So they had to do a walkthrough in his shed. He was in the middle of building his bulldozer, and they asked him what was going on, and he said he was just rigging up a cooling system, and they completely bought it. Marv took this as another sign. Oh, of course he did. So I know I didn't tell you what he was building, but I'm getting there. So... Another really confusing bit of the story, some sources say he had six months to vacate his land, and other sources say he was building his bulldozer for 18 months. I cannot find out which is true. I don't, I don't know. It's oh. really hard. Okay. Um, but basically, Marv, six months or 18 months, he had this plan in mind for a long time. I was gonna say, even six months is a long time. Very premeditated. Very So he'd actually given away his money, his house, his snowmobiles, everything. Okay, that would be a big sign that maybe his friends should have started being like, are you okay? He spent all of his time in this shed. He created a little sleeping area with a cot and like a hot plate for himself. And he basically didn't leave his shed unless it was like to go get more food. And nobody questioned? I think people realized that he was, like, angry and maybe he was asking for space. Maybe, but I don't know. Six months is a long time to have space. Right. So, all this time in his shed. (laughs) Oh, God. Wait, was he taking showers? The documentary said he would go as long as, like, three or four days without a shower. Three or four days? Okay, I mean... Uh, I mean, so he was bathing. I don't know where. Okay. As long as he was bathing. <laughs> that's he all was. I, that's all oh, I care about. Oh, I also forgot to mention, when the trash company bought his land, yeah. they literally got it hooked up to water and sewer the same day. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I mean, at least there, somebody's responsible in this story. I mean, right? everybody's responsible so far besides one. It's fine. So... Marv was essentially building this bulldozer into a tank. A tank. I mean, that's kind of what I was picturing in my mind. Like, you know, off those really old cartoons where they have, like, the bad guy bulldozer and it has, like, teeth-looking things on it? yeah. Yeah, that's what I was picturing. So, this thing, the way he built it, he would take two sheets of reinforced steel Mm -hmm. and put concrete between them and then mount that to the side of the bulldozer that seems really heavy it was very heavy so he he built all the way around this thing he built a top to it that would drop down but i'll talk more about that later he 
he built this this part I thought was really cool. He actually built little camera ports. So there were five cameras around the outside of this thing. He encased them in bulletproof glass. And then he hooked up small fans to keep dust off the lenses. Okay. He so this guy is really handy. Yeah. Like that I think that what he did was not cool, but what he did, that's really cool. <laughs> I mean like in theory if he didn't use it for a like negative like negative and you know like bad things like it would have been really cool in theory what he used it for is awful but we're getting there i (laughs) promise we will get there we're really close he's building the killdozer so (laughs) he he also built some slots in the side of it for guns he actually had a 50 caliber rifle mounted to the back of it that would stick out of a slot so that he could use this 50 caliber rifle when he goes on his rampage later okay um that's not okay no so this top remember yeah i mean this stuff is heavy yeah heavy heavy how is it even gonna move he well it's a bulldozer yeah but i mean i think he souped it up a little bit he made it so it would hold more gas oh Um, but this top he built was so heavy, he actually created this whole lifting system inside the shed that would, like, lift these pieces. I mean, these steel encasing concrete, very heavy, it would lift it and hold it for him, and then he would weld it on. He used this lifting system that was remote-controlled, so he climbed inside the bulldozer, remote-controlled this lift to put the top on top of him. And basically, once Marv got in, he wasn't coming out. Oh. I mean, okay, I feel really bad because, like, he seems super smart and it's really sad he went kind of psycho. So, on June 4th, 2004, at just after 3 p.m., Marvin drove his armored bulldozer straight through the wall of his shed and began his rampage. But it seems like this has to happen again and again and again in human nature that that we kill each other so that the next generation looks at things differently. It's it's a it's a cycle. best I can see it, God is saying that the cycle, it's time to happen again. Did he just say it's a cycle to kill? Yes. Okay. Um. I only took a small snippet of this particular tape because it's, it's a really, I didn't want to make it too long. It's really long. He basically talks about how in, there's this story in the late 1800s of, um, I think all these school children who ended up dying. What? And it's something that the locals talk about a lot. It's something they remember. They don't remember why. He's like, his words are, they may not remember why it happened, but they remember that it happened. And that's when he starts talking about this cycle. He's like, you know, it looks like as humans, we have to have a massacre happen every now and then for us to remember and learn from it. And he thinks that God told him to do this cycle again. 
I know. <laughs> There's a lot of people who think that, so thankfully, I'm going to tell you right now, no one died, except okay. Marvin is the only one who died. A lot of people think that Marvin didn't mean to hurt anyone, but that recording proves otherwise to me. Yeah, that seems like he was talking about, like, a massacre. Like, he was set out to try and, like, just, he had, like, the gun and everything, and because of, like, how he set up the tank. Mm-hmm. Tank? I don't know. Whatever. It, it's a it killdozer. <laughs> killdozer. The, the killdozer. Uh, it does seem like he was trying to hurt some, at least hurt people. Yeah, and, you know, I think it is ridiculous that some people think that he wasn't trying to hurt people because of what happens next. So I am going to detail his rampage to you. Oh, lovely. So remember, I started listing all the people that Marvin hates. We're going to see what he does. His first target is the concrete company. He drives out to his shed, and I mean, they're right next door. Makes sense they'd be the first target regardless. He goes and he bashes into their building with his tank, backs up, bashes into it over and over and over again, basically decimates the whole building. Okay. So I tried to find a copy of this 911 call. I can't find it anywhere. I didn't want to take it from the documentary because they may have gotten it from somewhere. I don't want to, oops, I don't want to take um, audio from the documentary because I don't know how to properly cite them so I don't get in trouble for it but a woman from the trash company calls and says hey there's this big bulldozer going to the concrete company and I don't know what's going on and so then Marvin starts hitting the building and she calls back and says yeah he is he's destroying the concrete company right now Mm -hmm. so then the police come out Cody actually came out with a gun tried shooting at the, the bulldozer did nothing he uh, he took this big piece of half-inch diameter angle steel, so basically this big pipe, mm-hmm. solid pipe, and his theory was, you know, when we run over this with tractors, it it gets tangled up, it, it ruins them, it stops them. He yeah. was going to try and throw this at the treads on the bulldozer to get it to stop. Did nothing. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so by now the police have arrived. Police took a shotgun and started approaching. They're shooting. Does nothing. So what Cody does, he actually goes and he tries to get um, a big front loader. So one of, some of his own equipment. Mm-hmm. And basically what he's thinking is, you know, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to pick it up and it won't be able to move. This thing is so heavy from all of this steel and concrete. Yeah. Basically all it does is it picks up the back tires of the loader. And Cody is like, I, I can't with this like i'm in danger so he backs off well actually no before he backs off marv starts shooting his 50 caliber into the bucket of the front loader oh and that's when cody starts freaking out he's like it's not worth it and backs up so now officers have started surrounding the concrete yard and area and do you know what jersey barriers are uh are they they're the the really solid concrete barriers on the highway yeah they had a bunch of jersey barriers around the outside of of the concrete yard so the police were taking cover behind the jersey barrier because this guy's shooting Mm -hmm. and marv takes his bulldozer and actually goes for the jersey barriers and (gasps) plows them over if the cops hadn't moved they would have died yeah probably 
That's scary. So at this point, the police, they're so far away, they kind of see these little holes in the side of the the bulldozer. Mm -hmm. These were, I don't, they didn't specify if these were the cameras or if they were the holes for some of the other guns he had, but they were trying to shoot at them. They were really, they were like two inches by four inches. They're too far away. They can't get a good shot in. Mm -hmm. Well, after Marv plowed through the Jersey barrier, he flips over a police vehicle, (gasps) drives over it. And at this point, this is when someone actually calls 911. They didn't say who. And they they inform the police that Marvin Hemeyer is the one inside the tank. How did they figure that out? Somebody must have known. Or, well, okay, I guess. Because if it wasn't the uh, trash place scene that the uh, little shed in the back was destroyed. Right. I mean, so someone knew and they let yeah. the police know. So at this point, some, some police officers decide to play cowboy and they actually climb on top of the tank. Because that's smart. I don't, I don't know. Playing um, cowboy? That's what it reminds me of. This guy, this police officer was riding this tank for a while. Okay. I mean, good on him. I mean. So w- what they're trying to do. Is g- get it open. Not get it open. They're trying to stop Marvin. At oh, this point, okay. they realize the only way that this guy is going to stop is if they, they kill him. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to do anything they can to get this to stop because he's already destroyed the concrete company. They don't know where he's going next. Yeah. So on the top of this tank, Marvin had actually built into the top. Um, if you've ever been in an RV in the bathroom, they have the fans in the ceiling to yeah. kind of suck air out. He had one of those on the top. That was to circulate air on the inside. Gotta keep them cool. (laughs) Yeah, because it's gonna get real hot in there. Yeah, gross and sweaty. And so they were trying to shoot through that, and they couldn't. So, I mean, even this thing was reinforced. He's too, too smart. This was way too planned out. It was really planned out. This was six to 18 months planned out. Right. So, obviously, at this point, I mean, cops are seeing that bullets aren't working. So they try flashbangs. I mean, did nothing. What? I was about to say whatever works, but just kidding. Didn't work. Doesn't work. So just throw a grenade in there. They tried. They tried. I will. (laughs) They try explosives later on, after Marv stops. But Mountain Park's electric was his next target. He goes same thing. Bashes into the building. Back up. Bash in until the whole building is decimated. The policeman's still riding. By the way, they then he starts heading towards town hall. Oh, town hall has a library in it. Yeah. So the um at this point, by the the policeman still riding. By the way, um they issue what they call a reverse nine one one. It basically uses the nine one one system to call out Mm -hmm. and warn people. So they were calling the entire city and saying shelter in place, do not move. It's an emergency. They called the library, and they were like, he is coming for you. You need to get out. So mm-hmm. the librarian, th- there were actually children in the building at the time. <gasps> no! They all got out, okay. thankfully. It was about to be, like, super, I mean, you said nobody died, but still. But it's, it's so, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. I there's don't... more. Oh, God. So this is when the camera, the police actually saw the first camera and Mm -hmm. so they're like hey 
this is how this guy is seeing shooting cameras out. Bulletproof glass doesn't do anything. Is that how he was seen? Yes. Or was, okay. He had them hooked up to uh, like uh, monitors on the inside, and that's how he was navigating. Because well, there's nowhere for him to see out. Guy on top needs to cover them. With what? I don't know. Does he have anything on him? No. Rip up his freaking uniform. Tie no. him up. Oh, okay. They don't have anything. Okay. So... The police are still trying to, like, shoot at weak spots. Obviously. It's not doing anything. Marv goes to the newspaper next. Oh, of course. The the editor is named Patrick Brower. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote a book after all this happened because Patrick was running literally out the back door as Marv hit the front of the building. (gasps) So this guy barely escaped with his life. It's crazy. So then he goes to the Thompson house. Oh, their, their, their house? Yes. They, like, their, their house was in the main part of the city. And the, the guy who had wronged him and denied him access had actually already passed away. But his widow still lived there. <gasps> so her sons come running in. And she's old. She's yeah. old. And they're like, Mom, you got to get out. They get her out. He smashes up the house decimates the house what a friggin ass white so the police at this point i mean they're trying everything that they can think of Uh um i don't know at what point like what building the policeman finally hopped off okay um because he i think it was when he hit the newspaper building because he was bashing into the building and it was like he was the bulldozer was shorter than the building was so like he was plowing through the building but the roof was still intact yeah the 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 policeman had to hop off or else he Uh was going to be crushed so the documentary wasn't super clear where they got this gun from i don't know if it was like a police officer found it in the armory of the police like department or if it was a local who had it or what but somehow someone gets a 50 caliber silhouette gun details because i don't know guns um i know a 50 caliber is like packs a punch well, yeah, I mean, I've played Halo. Um, I know. <laughs> I don't I don't know a ton about Neither guns. Do I. E- like, not enough but to know. But what's a silhouette gun? Um, you know, I tried to figure out. It looked like a rifle. They had a picture of it. Like, they had, like, a reenactment of it in okay. the documentary. Speaking of reenactments, off topic, just really quick. For the documentary, they actually, they made a replica of the tank. And they did a live reenactment of him busting through the wall of the shed. It was really cool looking. They put a lot of detail into this documentary. It was actually really good. Kind of want to watch it now. You should. It was. It was actually really good. Send me the. I enjoyed it. Send me the link. Yeah. Anyway, this fifty caliber gun, the same caliber as what uh, Marv has mounted to his killdozer, does nothing. Wait. Okay. Never mind, you're gonna get it. I was about to be like, how did they even stop him? Wait, there is an He does stop eventually. Well, oh, never mind. So he on top of destroying the Thompsons house, he destroyed a construction yard owned by the Thompsons. So he, if you so... can't tell at this point, he's very focused on his targets. Yeah, well yeah, because he said I mean, if you really, if he was trying to really focus and really enlightened by God, by all this, you think he would be going after the whole town and not just certain people who wronged him. Right. 
So that obviously is just him being bitter. Yep. So after he destroyed this construction yard, he hit the Excel Energy Building, which was a local company. And then he headed down the road kind of outside the city to a company called Independent Gas. Okay, wait one second, real quick. Uh, the XL Energy, who was that? Own who owned that? What did the energy people also wrong him? I I think one of the people, um, one of the one legacy of the... families was involved in it. Okay, but so later on when they actually are able to get to Marv when he dies, maybe I'll I'll mention this later. Okay, you're you're good. Yeah, I'll mention I... it later. Okay, um, but it is somebody there's like an actual okay i'm like some of these places i'm like why (laughs) so he goes to independent gas and the police did the reverse 911 Mm -hmm. to evacuate a thousand feet around because they're a propane supplier (gasps) industrial propane supplier that's gonna make a big boom within a thousand yards a thousand feet of this uh gas play uh, the property nursing home residential neighborhoods He's going to kill so... Well, okay. Never mind. <laughs> That's what police are thinking. They're, we have to evacuate. So Marv gets down there. He starts shooting at the propane tanks. What? He wants to blow them up. He's not shooting at them with just any kind of rounds. He's shooting with incendiary rounds. So that means it's like he's really, really he, trying. He's trying. What? And... If God is playing any sort of hand in this, it is this. Because Marv's, the gun he was using, mm-hmm. I don't think it was the 50 cal. The gun he was using to try and shoot these propane tanks could not clear, he, the The design of his armor was poor. He kept hitting his own armor. None of the bullets from this specific gun made it to the propane tanks. <sighs> that That's a blessing. Yes. That is there is a god he was doing that not helping this guy (laughs) um he did actually end up taking out a power transformer oh but i mean that that doesn't blow up a whole town yeah i will say have you ever seen a transformer blow up no i heard it's like kind of bad though it's really cool yeah. So when I was Does younger, it look like lightning or something, or like no, wait, that's something else. Just kidding. Um, when I was younger, the I think we had two or three power transformers blow out in Maple Valley where I grew up, and it was early enough in the morning that it was kind of that weird hazy color where it's not night, it's not morning, it's like the twilight. Mm-hmm. The sky turned pink and blue. Oh, that's it's really cool. And none of us really knew what was going on, but when we got to school, someone's dad had explained it to them. He was like, oh, the Transformers blew out. And we're like, don't know what that is, but it was cool. <laughs> but it's it was really cool. It turned the sky colors. But Okay, back to the story. <laughs> um, so at this point, the police are actually calling in for the National Guard to come and help. Yeah, please. The Colorado SWAT team was on the way. Yeah. And police were like talking to dispatch mm-hmm. they're like that's not good enough we need the national guard to come in here and we need air national guard in here with a helicopter like we need more support and i don't understand why don't they just get a tank uh air national guard was gonna be faster oh okay true Never mind. what i don't understand is listening to the dispatch call because they played it on the documentary mm-hmm. 
you hear the police say, we need the National Guard, call the National Guard and tell them to get here, tell them to bring a helicopter. The dispatcher is like, you need the National Guard and a helicopter? Wait, they're questioning this while a dude with, like, a kill tank to kill bulldozer thing is, like, destroying a town. Right. And that's, I listened and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, like I, how do you make that up? <laughs> I, I understand. Maybe she was just trying to clarify that she heard him right, but... And, you know, I tone of voice? I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, the entrance to get into this uh, independent gas is kind of um, off to the side and it angles down away from the road. So, it's one way in, one way out. Mm-hmm. Someone actually... The police were able to find big earth scrapers. They tried to block his way so that he couldn't get out. Oh, that's smart. He just pushed him aside. Never mind. I mean, good idea. Good try. It, it was a really good idea. There's, you can actually find on YouTube the news coverage. They had a news helicopter. <gasps> you can see the coverage of them trying to block him. They show, it's a really, it's like 15 minutes of his rampage they show. It's crazy. But Marvin pushes this earth pusher out of the way. He gets back on Main Street and he heads towards copycat printers. And he lost his coolant. And nothing really happens. Like, there's video of it. Mm-hmm. It's He doesn't hit anything. It's just he's going along. And then, I don't know if you've ever had the coolant run out on your car, but it causes all this smoke to go everywhere. Mm-hmm. You can see that happen with the bulldozers. So I think his something just crapped out on him. So... This thing is overheating now, and it's rubbing on fumes, but yeah. it keeps going. Oh, my God. So he goes to Gamble's electric store and does the thing that he always does, bashes into it, back up, bash into it again. He actually starts running into... So Gamble's was at the end of this strip mall, and there was an alley right next to it. Mm-hmm. He actually starts driving down the alley, taking out the entire sidewall <gasps> as he goes down, when he gets far enough in, they'd actually take this earth pusher because obviously his bulldozer is weaker now. You could see it was slowing down. Yeah. It was having a hard time. They actually put the earth pusher behind him so that he couldn't back out. Oh, so okay. What ended up happening is a lot of people didn't know that Gambles had a basement. Mm-hmm. His bulldozer was so heavy, it broke <gasps> through the floor into the basement. He got stuck. Whoop, whoop. And that is how he stopped. Oh, well, I mean... Good on them for having a basement. So, one time... I mean, eventually he would have stopped anyway because you can't get too far without your coolant at yeah. this point. A lot of people speculate, you know, he was just trying to get as much done as he could mm-hmm. because he knew it was slowing down. So police start surrounding him. They start pairing up because this guy has already caused so much damage and he's got guns. They don't know what he's going to do. He's not moving. He's not making any move to climb out. And... As they get ready to start approaching, they heard a single gunshot from inside. What a coward. So, finally, two sheriff deputies were able to get on top, and they were going to try and find a way in. They could not find a way in. They were all so confused. They're like, how did this guy even get in here? What happened? They actually rigged up some explosives, like, full-out explosives. Um, Now they get the explosives. They didn't have any before. There was no way for them. So not just a grenade, but like full on set up a charge, stick it to this mm-hmm. explosives. It it sh- um the acting mayor at the time was sheltered in his house really far away. He said he could feel his windows rattle from this explosion. So this was oh. not a small explosion. Okay. Didn't do anything. What? 
So they actually ended up having to bring in a cutting torch and had to cut through that vent in the top yeah. that I talked about. Seemed to be the weakest way in, so they cut around that. His rampage lasted, I think, two or three hours. Um, it was really quick. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, all of this went down. There was a lot that happened, but it went down fairly quickly. It took them until early morning the next day to cut in. By the time they got in, Martin was dead by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Inside, after they were able to get in, they did a search warrant for his house. He had a list of specific people he was after and specific companies he was after. So all the places, even though some of them seem random, Mm -hmm. they were all targeted for a reason. God, psycho. So this, this story is so crazy, it actually made worldwide news. Mm-hmm. The day after this happened, Ronald Reagan died, and coverage of Ronald Reagan's death completely drowned out the story of Marvin Heemeyer. <laughs> wow, that's God's doing right there. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so... They didn't want any people who thought Marvin was a hero to reassemble this bulldozer, so they actually cut it up into small pieces and dispersed the pieces in, like, four or five different landfills. Altogether, Marvin caused about $7 million in damage. Oh, my God. They tried to... Everyone knew that Marvin was pretty well off. I mean, he just made 400000 off of the sale of this land. Mm-hmm. When they tried to get the money from him... Marvin had given his money to his father in $50,000 increments, and his dad died right before all of this happened. His will gave the money to Marvin's two brothers and his sister, but not to Marvin. I think that Marvin helped his dad. Yeah. Yeah. And because of this separation of the money from him via his father and the will, mm-hmm. it was really hard for them to establish there was a connection in the money. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think they were able to get any of that money back to pay reparations to the Marvin's city. Marvin's a dick. Like, that's, no. So, that's a dick move. <laughs> like I said, there's a huge group of people that think Marvin's a hero and the man was keeping him down. And... That Marvin was pushed to do this, and it's just, it's it's so crazy. Make millions of dollars worth of damages, almost killing people. He wanted to. I guarantee he wanted to. Yeah, it was just the fact that everybody got basically evacuated. Yeah. Wow. Nope. Mm-mm. He's so, a jerk. that is the very long story of Marvin Heemeyer. Mm-hmm. And, uh... I would I would actually love to know what listeners think about this. Like I, I know I know I I presented it in a biased way. I definitely know I did that. I definitely took the side of the city. I did not take Marvin's side, but I'd I'd be really curious to know if anybody does sympathize with Marvin and they can see what he... I I feel like getting mad. I understand him getting mad with everything that happened, but to like decimate a whole city, I can't almost a whole city. I can't, I can't side with that at all. Like, so what's really interesting is I, I kind of sympathized with him in the beginning of my research. You're making a face at me. Um, <laughs> that was before I found his recordings online. 
you guys, this guy recorded, I played two very small snippets, but it's about four hours worth of recorded manifesto. And you can find them online. I will see if I can post them on the Facebook page. But it is so clear from these recordings. That he's crazy. That I don't want to say crazy, but there is something there. Mm-hmm. And based on these recordings, I completely changed my opinion. I I don't think he was a hero. I think he was disillusioned. I think he was paranoid. I think that he was really making up a lot of these scenarios in his own head. Um, well, from just, like, the timeline of everything happening and, like, the way he planned, kind of, like, from start to him selling everything and then starting in, like, working on this bulldozer type thing or yeah. whatever. Like, right there you can tell that it's more sought out and there's obviously he has issues to sit and not three, six months into that thinking... This might be a little crazy and I just might be a little bitter. Right. And he he says over and over again in his recordings that he believes that he was not caught because God didn't want him to be caught. No, he wasn't caught because he killed himself. No, like during this whole process of building stuff. Yeah. He was he believes that no one stopped him and he wasn't caught because God protected him because he was meant to do this. It's just, there's, I don't, it's really sad listening to his recordings, actually, because it's very delusional, very delusional, but let us know what you think. I'm actually really curious on other people's opinions. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the whole reason I found this is because the anniversary was just a few days ago. I just, I got completely sucked in. It was crazy. (laughs) Sounds crazy. Now I'm like I'm really gonna watch the documentary. Do Let's... it. If anybody wants to, it I believe it's only available on Prime Video right now. It's ninety nine cents and it is called Tread T R E A D and it came out this year. So definitely watch it. Let me know what you think of the documentary. I was hooked on it. I thought it was this whole story <laughs> has like eaten up the last two weeks of my life, you guys. I I have my thesis due in three days. <laughs> I don't need to be falling into these holes. I need to be finishing my senior thesis, but I got sucked into this. Yeah, I remember, like, for two weeks, you kept talking. You were just like, I found, I was working on this, and then I found this, and then it was just, like, every few days, you're just like, I'm going crazy. <laughs> I found more, and I found more. Yeah, I was, I literally like changed my whole script two days ago because of the in- more information I found. Oh god. No, yeah, no. I remember you're just like I found something else. Yep. And it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it was quite humorous to sit and receive those text messages while I'm just like, oh okay. <laughs> yeah. You see me losing my I'm delusional now. <laughs> Um, but share us with your friends. Let us know what you think. Yes, please do. Please do. Oh, um, I actually noticed the other day, out of nowhere, we got, like, ten times more downloads than we have ever gotten on a single day. I see all of you iTunes listeners. I don't see any reviews. Yeah, come on, guys. So this is me shaking my fist at you and saying, (laughs) leave me some reviews, punk. There's, a. 
memes all sun crystal of like certain things of like shaking fists or like uh, I don't know there are a lot of anime ones where the person's like hitting the other person on the head with like a newspaper and I always send them to Crystal and I'm like this is you with me (laughs) that's me with all of you please leave us a five-star review I would really appreciate them yes and thanks for listening to my I'm sure this has been like a 90 minute rant but I really hope you guys liked it because I was so sucked in by this I I enjoyed it I was really excited oh, thank for it. you yeah and it was good i ho- always enjoy a good crystal story oh, god this one ugh. <laughs> i hope you guys enjoyed it but we'll uh talk to you next time guys bye bye <laughs>